Support for OPB comes from our members and from our sponsors, like Tracy Ray from the employment law firm of Baron Lehman. Tracy says that OPB sponsorship is a great way to support the community and connect with Baron Liebman's clients. From the Gert Boyle studio at OPB, this is Think Out Loud. I'm Dave Miller. Overdose deaths from synthetic opioids like fentanyl increased more than five-fold in Multnomah County between 2018 and 2022. Local and national officials say that we are now in the fourth and deadliest wave of a decades-long overdose crisis. Meanwhile, it's up to the county to promote the public's physical, mental, and behavioral health. So how is Multnomah County responding to this crisis? Teresa Everson is the Interim Health Officer. Anthony Jordan is the Addictions Services Manager for the Health Department. They both join us now. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Dave. Thank you. Teresa Everson, can you just first give us a sense for the scale of the problem in Multnomah County right now? I will I will do my best. It's hard to really capture this for folks who aren't in the work uh, as much as we and some of the other community organizations we partner with are. Um, but as you mentioned, we have seen in a short period of time since just before the pandemic, a five-fold increase in opiate-related deaths. And for uh, fentanyl specifically in 2022, we're estimating 209 Multnomah County residents died from uh, overdose deaths that involved fentanyl, and we're seeing year-over-year increase. So we we hate in these post-pandemic times to use words like unprecedented, but we're really in an unprecedented time with fentanyl. We have decades of experience with other drugs. Um, most of us can remember response to heroin, and there's still folks who use heroin, but fentanyl really is a new beast. It's it's much stronger, it's cheaper, and it's it's making this response much more complicated. There's a lot to dig into there, that, that which we will in the next 20 minutes, but I'm just curious because the numbers that that I mentioned, that five-fold increase in fatal overdoses, those go through 2022. But but just last week, we talked about overdose calls to 911 in the last six months, in in the, the first six months of this year. And they showed a huge spike just in the last few months. I'm wondering if if the preliminary numbers that you're seeing are even worse this year than last year. Yeah, that's that's an excellent question. So there's a lot of different ways that we are monitoring the situation in public health. We, of course, look at our EMS data, our emergency medical services data, um, really closely to see what calls are being made, what the responses are, um, what's being done in those responses. And then, of course, we have to track our, our death data. We work really closely with the medical examiner's office to understand, you know, who are those suspected deaths? What are we suspecting that they're dying from? And then to, to confirm when we've got the, the lab results later, but we also listen to what's happening on the ground um, from folks who are providing those direct services to see what are the experiences of folks who use drugs in Portland. Are they um, noticing that when they're using drugs, they're nodding off deeper or longer? Are they having changes in their wounds? Just what's the experience with the drugs that, that folks are encountering? So there's a lot of surveillance that we do to try to understand what exactly is the situation. But we also have to recognize that there are a lot of folks who have non-fatal overdoses that we may never hear about. So even when we're looking at our data, it's not it's not capturing everything. In terms of causes of death right now in Multnomah County, where does fentanyl stand? 
it's it's hard to comment on fentanyl specifically. I'd have to pull up a chart of all the causes of death, but we know nationwide that overdose deaths have taken the lead, even more than than car accidents and motor vehicle deaths. So across the nation, opioid-related overdose deaths are are taking over as a leading cause of injury. Anthony Jordan, I noted that this is being called the fourth wave of the overdose crisis. What does that mean? You know, it's, it's, it's a good question. Um, you know, I think when we had looked at overdose in the past, this fourth wave, I think it's why they bring in the fourth wave because it's more, it's unlike anything we have seen before. Um, you know, I think sort of what um, Teresa was alluding to we have a new substance that's unlike any of the substance before, where only a small amount of fentanyl can kill you, right? Or you can overdose on. And so this new wave, what I think we are trying to get, call it a new wave so we can put a highlight on it, is so that we can address this differently. This, this is gonna be unlike any other way that we have addressed overdose in the past due to the nature of fentanyl. Well, so let's talk about treatments for a second. I mean, do medication-assisted treatments that have been effective for drugs like OxyContin or Percocet addiction or, or heroin, do they work in the same way for people who are addicted to fentanyl? They don't. Um, and, you know, Teresa can speak a lot to the medical piece of it. She's an MD, but from what um, I'm listening to community partners. When people are going in to treatment services, medication-assisted treatment, some people call it medication-supported recovery, that what it would take for people who came into a program from traditional like heroin use and to sort of get on those medication and what the sort of therapeutics were to sort of keep them safely um, out of withdrawals, I just just to remind folks, drugs like methadone or suboxone, which yes, we've talked correct. about in the past. Okay. Yes, right. Correct. Um, that it is it's it's not it's not effective. And then on top of it, one person may experience going into withdrawal differently. So there's not even a protocol individually for uh, specific people. There's not a protocol. It's been more individualistic, um, and so what what you know providers are looking to do is to sort of come up with some kind of community or practice to keep people out of withdrawals and i think you know teresa probably can speak more to the medical piece of it um um you know that's what i'm I'm hearing from providers on on the ground well so where uh, teresa everson where does that leave um the support community the medical community as well if traditional methods are less effective for fentanyl. Yeah, and I'm, I'm glad you said it that way, less effective. It's not to say that medications like buprenorphine, which is the main ingredient in uh, Suboxone, it's not to say they're not effective, but we're finding that that folks who um, who need Suboxone or buprenorphine for their treatment, they may need higher doses. They may need to start the medication in a different way at higher doses or, or a faster initiation phase. So there's this rapid change in practice right now in how do we help people and get the same results that we may have had with 
the protocols we were using three years ago now that fentanyl is so mainstream. So part of it is this community of practice that's not just here, it's nationwide and in making sure we're keeping up with best practice. But then we also need to be considering, you know, is buprenorphine going to be the, the the best choice for everybody? And do we need to consider other kinds of medications? I know we mentioned methadone. There's still a lot of folks in Portland who rely on methadone daily to help prevent withdrawals and to manage their substance use disorder, but are there even other treatments that we need to be considering? So it's just a rapidly um, evolving area in medicine. And we're not just talking about fentanyl alone, right? We're often talking about combinations of drugs whether or not people who are taking them even realize they they are taking combinations, how does that complicate efforts to prevent overdoses and prevent death? It complicates in, in many ways, in many real ways. So we know that folks who have polysubstance use, whether it's intentional or unintentional, sometimes it is intentional, that there's a greater risk of overdose and overdose death for those folks. So there's just a complication in um the experience people have when they use their drugs and what first responders or bystanders are encountering symptom-wise and management-wise when they're trying to to take care of an overdose. And then there's the piece of how do we manage people's withdrawals if they're withdrawing from several substances that may work in really different ways in the body, like a stimulant and a, and a depressant, like an opioid. And then there are different ways that we manage substance use disorder with different kinds of chemicals. So it's it's complicating in a lot of different ways, not the least of which is the, the dramatic increase in overdose risk when folks have polysubstance use. Yeah, and I think another way, one of the things that a lot of people are doing on the ground is letting people who use drugs make an assumption that any drugs that they use, whether it be methamphetamines or um, cocaine, for example, to assume that Narcan is in those drugs and even handing out Narcan to... Just to, to assume that fentanyl is in those drugs. Yeah, true. Yes. And to also hand out Narcan to people who use cocaine just in case fentanyl is in those. So you know, usually we would pass it out to only people who would use opiates, but because they are mixed with these other substances, we are passing out Narcan to all those individuals. Do you think, I mean, Anthony Jordan, from the, the providers you're talking to or, or the people who are um, actively dealing with substance use disorder right now, I'm curious how much you think that message has gotten out there for people who who regularly say use meth and and don't think or don't intend to to use fentanyl how aware do you think they are that they could unintentionally be buying fentanyl are you talking about the user themselves exactly i mean you're saying you you, you want users to know this and and i i guess i, I feel like we've talked to experts for more than a year now who, who've made this point and I'm just wondering how much this information has filtered down to the street. I think that would be hard to know. I know what some places they they actually don't call fentanyl overdose overdose. They call it fentanyl poisoning because people are under you know they're going for one thing and then poisoned by another drug. So I'm not sure like how much of that education is getting to the user themselves. I know that there is a lot of education that we are putting out to try to, you know, help, you know, users understand that, you know, fentanyl is can be in the drugs that they use. Um, you know, there are places on Baltimore County, I think, that's carrying that message to like sort of like the homeless, uh, houseless population. Uh, but I really don't know as, you know, if I could put a percentage of what percentage of the population of users would know that. Is it okay if I 
in as well? Please do. I, I, I would also add that's messaging that we've been doing really consistently with clients that we serve through our syringe services program. So folks who are active in their use, maybe not ready for treatment. And I know other syringe service program um, providers also do that messaging to not, not assume that what you're taking is what you think it is or what you're using is what you think it is. Um, but some of that comes back to being able to engage folks and, and and get them in the door. So the folks that we're engaging, we're making sure that that message is out there. We're doing uh, street outreach with that messaging. So as much as we can, we're, we're sharing that message. I just want to remind folks, uh, we're talking right now about Multnomah County's responses to the fentanyl crisis. Anthony Jordan is the addiction services manager for the County Health Department. Teresa Everson is the interim health officer. Teresa Everson, you, you mentioned the, the syringe program. Um, some of our listeners may be familiar with a uh, um, a very public backtracking um, at, at the county level in the last couple months where people in the health department um, told members of the uh, board of commissioners that they were going to be doing as part of harm reduction, handing out um, straws and foil um, so people um, would not be injecting fentanyl. Um, and then it was made more public in Willamette Week and the board of commissioners, all of them, very loudly said, no, this is a bad idea. This was rolled out poorly. We're not going to do this. It was a very public lashing uh, at the health department, and that policy um, is not going to happen. Broadly, though, I I'm. It, it does make me wonder what harm reduction looks like in the age of fentanyl. Well, harm reduction as a principle is doing everything that we can to try to keep people as safe as possible while they're in their substance use, whatever that substance is. And when I say safe as possible, it's anything from preventing infection. A lot of this started around trying to prevent HIV, which we know is um, uh, shareable through injection drug use primarily, also preventing things like hepatitis C, other kinds of infections that can be transmitted through uh, injection use. There's also uh, other injuries and wounds that can happen. And then there's the risk of overdose. So really harm reduction encompasses a lot of different activities to just try to keep people as safe as possible while they're still using. When we provide our harm reduction services, that's also an opportunity to be engaging with folks and finding out what else they need, whether that's housing or food or insurance or connection to treatment if they're ready for that, connection to primary care. So there's a lot that goes into to harm reduction services. But one of the things that, that we've always focused on in our, in our syringe services program and in our harm reduction services is making sure that we're staying current with what folks are doing, how they're using their drugs, the kinds of um, injuries they're having, and trying to be responsive to what we're hearing from clients. So we, we just published our uh, 2022 client uh, services survey from our harm reduction program to talk about what their experiences are and how they're using their drugs. And this is not unique to Portland. This is something that's across the, the Northwest and the West Coast. There's a lot more smoking of, uh, of drugs on the West Coast than there are in other parts of the country. So that was something that we heard really clearly from folks. And I don't want to get into it, into it too much uh, because it is something that, um, that we're not doing right now. We're not moving forward with right now. Um, but we, we know that injecting in general from a couple of decades of experience with heroin and harm reduction in heroin, injecting in general is safer from an overdose standpoint. I'm sorry, it's not safer. It's more harmful from an overdose standpoint and tends to transmit infectious diseases more. So it was a, a natural uh, conclusion. It was 
an evidence-based conclusion. It's also clearly something that folks are not not ready for in our area. So I wish I could give you a comment about you know, the future of that, but I, I don't have a comment right now. I don't have a crystal ball, but from a public health standpoint, it's it was a, a sound recommendation that, that clearly we're just not ready for right now. Anthony Jordan, what pieces do you think are missing right now in the ecosystem of treatment services? What don't we have uh, at the county level or the state level that you think we need? You know, one of the things I'm going to say at the beginning is is enough investment in prevention services. Um, you know, I, 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 I oversee prevention as well, and I think we don't we don't make a good amount of investment in prevention. Um, it's usually one of those things that it take a long time for those things to come to sort of have some some great outcomes. We focus a lot in crisis, but I wish that we would put more more funding into prevention services. That's the first thing. The second thing in the crisis that we are in, you know, we don't have um, withdrawal management services. We, we have some, but we don't have an adequate amount of withdrawal management services. There are limited beds for those individuals. Um, and, you know, I was talking to some providers today. One of the other um, places that we don't have is sort of a stabilization because people with fentanyl often, as, as Teresa was uh, alluding to, um, was that when people, while, while people adjusted to the medication, once they leave a form of withdrawal management, they're usually not stable enough to go into services. And so we, you know, I want to say Chair Vega Peterson and other commissioners have convened a group to sort of look at what those gaps of services are. And they're committed to finding that gap and sort of how to fund this sort of stabilization, this sort of crisis or um, group of people who can't move into either um, residential treatment or outpatient treatment because there's this lack of stability um, for them to get into. Um, we, we, we also, um, at least in, in Baltimore County, we we sometimes lack sort of this coordination of services um, where if someone leave one level of service, how do we move them from, like, let's say someone is houseless and they go into a services, how do we quickly move people into a service um, when they are needing it? Um, usually when, if we, if someone was houseless now, we wanted to provide them some type of service, we either don't have the housing piece for it or that we don't have the service itself freely available as sort of a long wait list or some wait list or some, you know, some kind of process that they have to go through in order to get into that service. So I think that those are probably the three highlights. Once people get into services in Baltimore County, they do really well. The, the sort of outcomes are, are pretty good. It's, it's getting them into those services has been the challenge. Anthony Jordan and Teresa Everson, thanks very much. Thank you. Anthony Jordan is the Addictions Services Manager at Multnomah County Health Department, where Teresa Everson is the Interim Health Officer. Coming up after a break, we're going to have a related conversation. We're going to hear how the Multnomah County Sheriff is responding to a recent spike in in-custody deaths, including two suspected overdoses.